Thanks for tuning in to the Ecclesia podcast. We are a group of people committed to proclaiming the words and doing the works of Jesus and his kingdom. And these podcast episodes are conversations we're having in our community. You can join the conversation by engaging on all the typical social medias and by joining us Sunday mornings at 11. Thanks for listening. For those of you who need an update on where we're at, two years ago this week... The first recorded COVID case hit the U.S. So happy anniversary! Yay! <laughs> but seriously. <laughs> what a time to be living. What a time to be living. Or uh, I would actually say what a time to be surviving because a lot of that has (laughs) felt like that's where we've been. And I could spend the next several hours listing the struggles that we've endured both collectively and individually over the past 24 months. Um, But I'm trying to keep my sermon short, so I will not. You're welcome. (laughs) And I do think that our passage for today will be an encouragement to us. I think it will be a chance for refining us, and I think that it might even offer us some hope. To keep you guys up to date, we've been traveling through Luke's account of Jesus's life, but last week we kind of jumped over to John's gospel where Chris shared with us the first sign that Jesus gave of providing really good wine at a wedding. This week we're back in Luke, so I'm going to read the passage for today. We'll pray, and then we'll kind of dive in. Luke 4, 14 through 21, for those of you who want to follow along. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and for the words that you have for us this morning. Some of us need some healing. Some of us need some encouragement. We need some hope. God, your word offers that. Let the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Every time I come to this passage, which um, is a lot, I've preached preached from this passage quite a bit in my time as a pastor, but every time I come to it, my first observation is that Jesus says that this scripture is fulfilled in their hearing. But by Luke's account, Jesus has only done one of the things listed. He's proclaimed the good news. So to recap the journey, um, the first Sunday after Epiphany, 
Jesus was baptized by John, and then um, he immediately goes into the wilderness, which is the part that we've kind of skipped over. He fasts, he prays, he's tempted, and then he comes out of that wilderness journey, that 40-day fast, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he begins to speak in the synagogues. So in what way exactly has the scripture been fulfilled? It might be helpful to think of this in terms of like a prophetic announcement that in the person of Jesus, who has been filled with the Spirit, the promised Messiah has come and will do all of the things, right? Um, And John's gospel will continue to lay this out as we journey through it um, and see the way that Jesus truly does fulfill this um, prophetic word. And in fact, Luke's already highlighted it some through the prayers of Zechariah and the prayer of Mary um, in, in Luke 1 and 2, where um, we see that act, that, that prayer, that prophetic word being prayed over Jesus. And it's important to remember that Jesus has not done anything, and yet God has called him my son with whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus, who knows his identity as God's beloved, can confidently and prophetically proclaim that he is the fulfillment of the prophecy. He is the hope for Messiah. Jesus will do the things. And guys, some days, that's the good news that we need to hear. (laughs) That God's well pleased with us before we've done anything. That we are beloved. And if that's all that you hear this morning, embrace it and allow God's love to wash over you. Amen. I want to unpack, though, what Jesus is claiming he has inaugurated. The first thing he says is that he has been anointed to preach good news to the poor. Now, some have asked, well, what does he mean by poor? Does he mean the spiritually poor? Does he mean the economically poor? And some might also observe that to ask that question misses the point entirely. Um, But a simple answer is yes, it means both spiritually (laughs) and economically poor. But it's much more holistic than that. It's more than that. Let's remember that in first century context, the culture was one of shame and honor. Hierarchy was the rule of the, uh, it was sacred for the social structure of the first century. You have the haves and you have the have-nots. And they kept to this structure and this way of being, um, it was like sacred. So the poor could more holistically be determined by the family you were born into, the education you had access to, your gender, your vocation, your religious purity, as well as your economic standing. In fact, it might be easier to view the poor as anyone who was in that lower status. They were the outsiders. And let's remember that there was no pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. There was no freedom to climb the ladder of success or choose a different vocation or walk away from familial poverty. You were born into a certain status and you were likely to die there too. So those in the low status, the poor, they were on the outside. And Jesus came to declare good news that those on the outside 
are welcomed in. And if this sounds familiar, it should. Mary's Magnificat speaks to this in Luke 1, and Jesus is fulfilling that. Jesus also addresses bringing sight to the blind, and surely this means physically. Luke is going to, in the future, recount some healings of the blind, quite literally. But I think it's also safe to assume that this is a metaphorical seeing that the revelation of Jesus as the one who is salvation and who is offering inclusion to all, that those who uh, choose to see that salvation are welcomed in and they're accepted as long as they see it, as if they can remove the scales from the eyes and, and see Christ as salvation. Jesus also addresses both the release of the oppressed and those held in captive. Jesus will act as liberator. And this release and liberation is seen not just as the release of bondage to sin, though it is that, but there's a holistic implication that we see fulfilled throughout Jesus' ministry. Remember that the liberation from bondage is immediately followed by inclusion back into community. Remember that those possessed by demons, (laughs) those who were held in bondage, were kept outside of the community. Liberation meant freedom to return back to, their, to your people. To be free from the imposed social restrictions that you were under. Jesus radically proclaims the year of the Lord's favor. This is a reference both to Isaiah 61 and 58, in which the Jubilee is enacted. This law, which is found in Leviticus, fascinating if you want to read about it, Leviticus 25, But it describes the 50th year in which the land remains untilled, debts are forgiven, all slaves are released, and all land is returned to those who lost it. Can you imagine the implications? Can you imagine what would happen if we actually practiced Jubilee? This is some radical generosity and abundance. Now, keeping all of this in mind, we'll find out next Sunday how the hearers respond to Jesus, and I don't want to stomp on Amanda's message too much, but um, they're not super excited. (laughs) But she'll get to tell that story next week. For now, (laughs) for now, what I want us to really grab a hold of is what this good news means for us today. Because in a lot of ways, we're the elite, we're not the poor. We're the haves. We have uh, access to education. We have, you know, freedom to choose what vocation we want. Um, we have community. We have privilege. And I think it's important to acknowledge that because we must unlearn the way we have been taught to view Scripture in a lot of ways and who we identify with in the text that we're reading. So I think it's really important to highlight that. And, and this is in capital letters and bolded in my notes, (laughs) y'all, the past two years have been a lot. A lot of us, if we're completely honest, are struggling. On a large scale, there's a pandemic. I don't know if you've heard about it. Um, There's political division. There's racial unrest. On a smaller scale, the past two years have brought a lot of pruding and uprooting and transition to our community. 
Individually, we've had to deal with brain tumors and cancer diagnoses, uh, loss of friendships, loss of lives, job transitions. It's been a lot. And I know that I am feeling bankrupt right now. (laughs) There's not much left to give. We're all trying to serve and give in love, but our tanks are running on empty. And here's where Jesus brings us some good news today. Jesus, the one who made really good wine from the purification water, is serving out that wine in abundance to us today. And we are maybe too exhausted to appreciate the goodness, but there it is. Jesus is serving us the good news of freedom from loneliness into the arms of a community that loves without conditions. We're being served with a radical hope that we can walk in freedom, that we can receive sight, that we can find healing, that our debts are being released, and that we have a reason to celebrate. And I know it's really easy to say all of this on a Sunday morning and then walk away still feeling empty. (laughs) So I think the real question becomes, how are we to embody Jesus' good news in the day-to-day grind? When the isolation becomes unbearable and the depression threatens to consume and the healing we long for and pray for is is just not coming, what do we do then? What do we do? This is when we lean into each other. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about how we have been baptized into the body of Christ. We have come out of the water as God's beloved children. And what the Spirit anointed Jesus to do, we are now anointed to do as God's body, as Christ's body. And we're not meant to do any of this alone. We are collectively the body of Christ. I've observed over time that the church has started thinking about itself more as a machine than as a body. And here's the thing about machines, right? As long as it's well-maintained, that machine can just keep on going. Among many other things, the pandemic has unveiled just exactly how detrimental this idea of the church as a machine has been. When making the thing go and Sunday is always coming and let's build some momentum are the mantras of the church machine, the sudden inability to meet, to meet in normal worship throws a wrench into that narrative. See what I did there? Machine, wrench, come on. <laughs> Thank you. And what's also been highlighted is when it's the pastors and the high-level staff and volunteers are the only ones doing the stuff, and the congregation is simply there to consume content, the whole machine breaks down. A poll done by the Barna Group showed 38% of pastors have seriously considered quitting the ministry in the pandemic. That's one in three pastors And I'd be lying if I said that I was not part of that 38% at one time or another in the last two years. If it weren't for the fact that Bud was ready to keep going when I was ready to quit and vice versa, I'm not sure I would be standing up here as your pastor today. One in three pastors are ready to quit. We've tried to keep the machine going, but we're exhausted. We're beginning to wonder if this whole idea of a machine is worth fighting for. 
And in a system that makes the church a machine for consumption, at best, you have pastors ready to quit. And at worst, you have pastors thriving on the ego trip that leads to manipulation and spiritual abuse. (laughs) Y'all, the current system is not working. The church is not well. We've lost sight of what the church really is. It's time to start thinking about her as a body again. Human bodies have limitations. We treat human bodies differently than machines, I hope. We handle bodies with love and care, grace, compassion, respect. And they're dependent on each part in order to function in her fullness. When one part suffers, the whole body suffers We need to remember that we collectively are the body of Christ. So when we talk about preaching good news, setting the oppressed free, declaring the year of Jubilee, we don't have to uh, leave it to the high profile parts of the body. No, we are Christ embodied, together, united, bringing God's kingdom in the anointing of the Spirit. Now, this does not mean that Y'all don't have to do individual stuff, so I'm not saying that. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. We all have opportunities to show God's love on the regular to everybody we come in contact with. And I also know that there are days that I don't have the strength to continue. I have to rely on the rest of the body. We need each other. If we want justice to come to our city, we have to work together. If we want to bring sight to the blind, to reveal the ways the church has continued to marginalize people, we must do that as the body. If we want to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice, we have to learn to function as a unified body. This is what the Holy Spirit has anointed us for. This is what we're empowered to do and to be. We carry Christ's body, the anointing to bring God's kingdom, And we don't do this alone. Maybe so. Thanks for listening to the Ecclesia podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Join the conversation by engaging on all the typical social medias and by joining us Sunday mornings at 11. Peace and love to you all.